Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Buddhism is often thought of as a form of self-help. Sometimes it is classified that way in bookstores. This is not surprising because meditation or mindfulness, mindfulness in quotes again, is a largely private practice from which we expect certain results that manifest in ourselves, particularly calmness and wisdom, and some would say awakening as some exalted state of self-manifestation. But is that all there is to Buddhism? Many say yes. I want to begin a small series of talks today about Buddhism as self-help. This sounds innocent enough, but the topic actually opens up a plethora of interesting issues about the nature of self, as in self-help, the role of Buddhist practice in preparing us as individuals to live in the modern world, the often ignored grounding of Buddhism in society, and the role of Buddhism as a counterpoint to the dysfunction of modern society which is, by the way, the central reason, in my opinion, for bringing Buddhism to the West. In particular, I want to respond in these talks to a challenge expressed by the philosopher Slavoj Žižek, who has called Buddhism the hegemonic ideology of global capitalism. He goes on to write, one is almost tempted to resuscitate the old, infamous Marxist cliché of religion as the opium of the people, as the imaginary supplement to terrestrial misery. The Western Buddhist meditative stance is arguably the most efficient way for us to fully participate in capitalist dynamics while retaining the appearance of mental sanity. This challenge comes not only from outside of Buddhism, but similar criticisms come from within Western Buddhist circles. Korean Zen practitioner and scholar Ron Purser writes, But what if, instead of changing the world, mindfulness has become a banal form of capitalist spirituality that mindlessly avoids social and political transformation reinforcing the neoliberal status quo. Mindfulness here is at the center of the controversy because the modern mindfulness movement is front and center in the framing of Buddhism as a kind of self-help that supports the kind of spirituality Zizek and Purser are warning us about. Purser even calls this movement mindfulness. Here is mindfulness again, which has come up in my talks in this podcast on translating Buddhist technical vocabulary into English, and before that in my long series of talks on Satipatthana. 
often translated as the foundations of mindfulness. Recall that I've argued that mindfulness has lost its usefulness as a technical term in Buddhism because it no longer means the same as Pali Sati, which it is supposed to translate. In fact, I argued that mindfulness has more to do with Samadhi than with Sati. This is largely a result of the mindfulness movement. I therefore use mindfulness in quotes to refer informally to whatever mindfulness means in the modern context, and in particular in the mindfulness movement. I do not want thereby to suggest that the various serious practices that fall under the rubric mindfulness, in particular vipassana insight meditation, shikantaza, or 24-7 attentiveness, are not solid Buddhist practices. Only the term mindfulness has gotten away from us. My fear is that it has largely been co-opted in an attempt to reduce all of the wisdom of the Buddha to a particular experience, the cultivation of which is a method of self-help with a promise of miraculous results. So let's start with self-help. It can be called self-development, self-actualization, being all that you can be. I think that we can say it is a program for developing personal, presumably beneficial characteristics through one's own efforts. It often includes programs for losing weight, for optimizing physical health, for reducing stress and anxiety, for optimizing cognitive function, for personal attractiveness or sex appeal, for developing social skills to win friends and influence people, for training to acquire job skills, for recovery from addiction, for happiness, for positive thinking, or for presenting oneself as an alluring brand. Although self-help is largely an individual effort, it is aided externally through books, classes, motivational speeches, personal coaches or trainers that provide inspiration and guidance and now constitute a multi-billion dollar industry. Because so much of Buddhist practice is an individual effort, often even said to be ideally conducted in seclusion from others, and whose karmic results are our own, it makes sense that self-help would draw on Buddhist ideas particularly with regard to personal serenity and attentiveness, maybe better emotional health. And if these ideas lead to awakening, imagine what that would do for one's social status and job prospects, though it might put a damper on one's sex life. Buddhist meditative practices, and in particular mindfulness, have become a significant part of self-help. Mindfulness in all its secular applications itself has become a billion-dollar industry. The match between Buddhism and self-help is going to have to deal with the nature of this self-thing. There's a comic in which a man is at a bookstore at the information desk, and the woman there says, Buddhism? 
That would be in the non-self-help section. Isn't Buddhism about non-self? Exploring Buddhism and self-help and the modern mindfulness movement in particular will help us gain better insight into what non-self actually means in Buddhism and what self has become in our hyper-individualistic modern culture. I want to approach this issue from the perspective of what is the self in modern culture? To answer this, we'll look at historical factors that have led to the individualism found in Western culture and the particularly stark individualism of American culture. And it's important to look at the particularly pernicious, hyper-individualistic sense of self promoted by neoliberal capitalism, which has become such a huge factor in shaping our modern economic and social order, especially since the 1970s, and a prime determinant of the shape and growth of self-help. Once we understand the Western sense of self, we will subject it to Buddhist analysis to reveal the ways it is deluded, a result of one unfounded presumption after another and a huge source of human suffering. A frequent criticism of self-help across the board is that by accepting a particular understanding of self, it tends to form and fortify that understanding. The pernicious neoliberal self is being affirmed and fortified in this way as we speak. However, the Buddha Dharma is one of the few sources with a clear understanding of how this gets us into trouble. We can watch the processes whereby the neoliberal self shapes the appropriation of a personal identity that can result in greater narcissism, isolation, and suffering. Moreover, self-help, including mindfulness and other Buddhist methods, offer relief for what is actually a mere symptom experienced personally, but of underlying social dysfunction, oftentimes caused by neoliberal policies themselves. Consider the epidemics of depression, suicide, and loneliness. Neoliberal thought notoriously redefines such problems as matters of personal responsibility. This is an analogy to the abundant use of medications to treat personal anxiety or depression when the underlying pathology is social in nature. This explains the growth of the pharmaceutical industry and the growth of the self-help industry. It has been said that the most troubling aspect of many modern spiritualities is precisely that they are not troubling enough. This seems to happen to Buddhism when it becomes self-help. Robert Scharf worries that the ethical perspective of modern mindfulness, in spite of its root in a critique of mainstream values and social norms, nonetheless resembles mainstream consumer culture requiring, for instance, no change in how we live our lives. Bhikkhu Bodhi fears 
Buddhist practices could easily be used to justify and stabilize the status quo becoming a reinforcement of consumer capitalism. My own view is that the teachings of the Buddha are radical. They're radical ethically, they're radical psychologically, they're radical socially. They are radical in any culture. They are meant to upturn our lives, to challenge prevailing norms, to challenge human nature as normally understood. Their goal is to turn away from the ancient twisted patterns, not to mention the modern, of thought and behavior that have kept us locked in suffering for untold eons, and to trigger a radical restructuring of our cognitive faculties, driving impulses, and society itself. Sad to say, rather than serving its radical role in resisting modern social dysfunction, for the most part, modern Buddhism seems to have played right into it. This seems to be the primary criticism of Buddhism as self-help. It represents a radical paring down of Buddhism largely to conform to modern society and advance its interests rather than confronting it. This is why some choose to call this trend McMindfulness. McMindfulness in becoming a technique of self-help has otherwise forgotten the Dharma. Recall in my earlier talks I've argued that mindfulness has retreated from sati, which it originally was supposed to translate, and that that occurred in the course of the 20th century. Sati means recollection, and right recollection is recollection of the Dharma. As far as I can see, mindfulness retreated from the Dharma in order to become self-help. Dharma became, quoting other teachers, claptrap or mumbo-jumbo, while mindfulness became unconstrained by dogma. So, in these talks, I think it'll be instructive to start out by talking about the self from a Western cultural perspective, about the Western self. In most cultures, the self is constituted in terms of relations with things outside of the self, in particular with family. If someone asks, who are you? You answer in terms of where you are within your family tree. The prevailing Western idea is that the self is something given before it is brought into relation with anything else. What you bring to the table in terms of rationality, creativity, spirituality, or just plain you-ness. The neoliberal self doubles down on that as a greedy individual that relates to others through economic exchange in which it has a market value. Self-help is a matter of increasing value in a competitive market by acquiring more marketable qualities. All values are economic in neoliberal thinking, and all self-help is aimed ultimately at increasing economic value. It should be easy to deconstruct such selves from a Buddhist non-self perspective, and we should learn a lot by doing so, not only about Dharma, but about the insanity of our modern way of thinking about these issues. 
In these talks, we will address the upsides and downsides of self-help. Of course, if mindfulness reduces anxiety in one's life, that is positive. It is reducing suffering, even if it is providing limited relief for a much deeper problem. But might the framing itself of mindfulness in terms of self-help keep us locked into whatever sense of self it presupposes and thereby inhibit our own spiritual development toward nirvana? A primary aim of Buddhist practice from the get-go is to challenge such presuppositions about the self, not reinforce them. Finally, it'll be instructive to address how the Buddhist way of life, an ideal of society, is almost the polar opposite of that promoted in modern culture, particularly under neoliberal influence, in which mindfulness has found its role as self-help. A livelihood in the neoliberal context is almost invariably a wrong livelihood for lay people, for it runs on self-centered intentions that undermine Buddhist practice. The Sangha carries that one step further. The monastic community was set up as the ideal society writ small, notably Competitive market mechanisms and marketability have no value whatever in that community. It's significant that meditation and the correlates of mindfulness practice were promoted by the Buddha during his lifetime only in the context of the monastic community. That is, monks and nuns were constantly admonished to sit jhana. Lay people never were though he never excluded lay people from meditation practice either. Perhaps this is so that mindfulness will not fall into self-help. Next week, I think we'll talk about the self in the modern context, which has an interesting history of evolution. <laughs> 